one, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast where we explore the stories in our guest path by examining the music that ties them to those stories. Thanks for listening. I'm Richard Chinqui. Our guest today is Will Prather. Will is the executive producer and owner of Prather Productions. He currently operates the Broadway Palm Dinner Theater in Fort Myers, Florida, and the Dutch Apple Dinner Theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Prather Touring and Apex Touring, which are national touring companies that bring productions around the country and across the world. Right now, they're touring Summer, the Donna Summer Musical. He's the past president and current advisory board member of the Lee County Alliance for the Arts and is past secretary of the National Dinner Theater Association. Will's on the short list of people who were on our original guest list when we formulated the very idea for this show, and it only took us about three and a half years to get him in the booth. Mike sat down with him a couple weeks ago and recorded this episode, so here it is. Hey there, Will. How are you? Good, Mike. How are you? It's good to see you in the uh, flesh and blood in person here. It is. It's nice to be out and about again. And like I said in one of our emails, I'm looking forward to talking to you longer than like four minutes because I feel like about four minutes is the cr- the threshold that we've never surpassed. Yeah, I agree. You know, we always <laughs> kind of run into each other and be like a quick hello and then uh, got to go. Or... Yeah, because we're always in the middle of making something right, usually. Right. Um, so what is the earliest musical theater memory you can recall? And I don't necessarily mean musical theater. Mm-hmm. But music and theater, or musical theater. You know, I, of course, I think I remember the, the a bit of classical music when I was, you know, in my toddler kind of, you know, where I would go to my grandmother's house. It was the first time I really kind of heard music. But um, Broadway musicals. I mean, I literally at the age of seven um, in 1976 uh, attended my first Broadway musical. Um, so I think between Broadway musicals and then, to be quite honest, my uh, my additional exposure were to hymns. To I was a I was an altar boy for the Episcopal Church. Hmm. Um, so I always remembered though uh, when I was singing, I was always off key. So for whatever and you reason, knew it. I knew it. You know, and especially when we started, uh, I sang in a choir for just a little bit when I was in my late teens, and I, uh, I mean, my early teens. And I just remember I was a little bit off, and they kept trying to figure out if, if I was more of a, a baritone or a bass, and then I'd try to be between the two because I didn't have the low note, and then I couldn't hit the high note. So I, I always knew something was a little bit off in terms of my uh, in, in terms of my key. And ironically, here I am in a business that it's important for me to be able to tell if someone can <laughs> sing on key or not. But um, can it, you tell? I you can, can hear tell. it. You I, just can't correct it. I can. That is in correct. Yourself. And what I would do internally is when I would try to correct it, I would overcorrect. So if I was trying to hit that kind of right note, I would just kind of it was just always just a, a ta- like a half key off. Um, well, oh, we're kindred spirits. I got. <laughs> I I have a a really solid ear, but in choir. If I'm singing on key, I can't tell because I'm on key. And so I would adjust until I could hear myself. And now I'm off key. Right. It was the worst. Yep. I'm trying to imagine a way. I'm trying to devise a way where you could like get a whole bunch of people who can't sing on key together and have them perform something and then have the music <laughs> pitch shifted. Right. Layer. <laughs> and, you know, ironically, in, in, our, in my business, we will often sometimes change the key of a song right. to match the performer's strength. 
So if that soprano can't quite hit that super high C or whatever yeah. it is, we'll just lower it a step or two to meet that. So it's not unheard of to sometimes uh, adjusting the key of a song to match that of a performer. Um, so you mentioned going to a Broadway show when you were seven. Were you, was your family always a theater family? I mean, it, it seems like it, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I kind of make this joke when I do speeches about myself. I said, I feel like I came out of the womb and on the stage. Uh, because literally my earliest memories, I mean, my, my, my parents, my dad produced his first show in 1964. Uh, I was born in 69, and then they opened their very first theater that they ever had together in 1971 when I was two years old. So you grew up in a theater. I, I literally grew up in the theater um, from my earliest memories uh, of attending theater, of working in the theater, of being there for my parents. It's just been – it's been uh, immersed my whole life for the most part. But it also – some in my early years, and I, and I think I'll talk about it a little bit when I talk about that first – you know, something that really changed in my life. But in, in those early years, it was really, uh, you know, it was musical theater. It was a choir. It, it was just really uh, pretty milk toast. You know, pretty, pretty like uh, run of the mill. Not too exciting in terms of my uh, my progression with music. Uh, brothers or sisters? So I have a younger brother, twenty one months. Uh, interesting thing about my brother is completely opposite in terms of his music taste. Uh, he was only born two years behind me, so he was born in 1971. Uh, but in his early teens, he was exposed to uh, Howard Stern, 97K Rock, and, and really got into, of all scenes, he got into the punk scene. Huh. Like, the, you know, the like headbanging, dag nasty. And, uh, and we actually went to a couple shows, and they were just not my thing. I'm like, what are you guys doing? This is crazy. So my brother, and he's now, uh, music is... A, a critical part of his life. He just saw his 98th live Pearl Jam show. Holy cow. Yeah. And if it wasn't for COVID, he would have gotten 100 last year. Uh, but yeah, uh, 98 live shows of Pearl Jam. So he kind of, and he follows them all over the world. Uh, goes to see him in Europe and Australia, and he's seen him all over the world. So uh, kind of, it, he took a little different journey than I did. And I think I'm a little bit more tame than that. What's the first band you identified with when you were a kid? That first band I identified with when I really think I got outside of my box was was Rush. Mm. It was Rush. Hearing uh, those albums and that initial music now. So I didn't really get exposed to Rush until uh, you know, the, the late 80s or so, 85. I was about a sophomore in high school, junior in high school. Um, so it was in that mid lays and the, their first album came out, I think, in 81. So I was a little late to the table, but... Um, hearing the the power and the strength of, of those three musicians and their lyrics and uh, the rebellious to it a little bit and uh, but but that's the really first impression of really getting outside of what my box was um, and I even mentioned that you know I was a pretty nerdy kid uh, I was in the marching band what'd you play saxophone All right and this is a it's on the top end of the spectrum so well ironically <laughs> my, my sophomore year was my second year in the marching band and our sax section had uh, i think we had eight um <laughs> i was the seventh chair okay and the only Could reason you stay I, on key with your sax <laughs> the only reason i wasn't the eighth chair and god loved the kid he was an awesome dude uh let's just say he was on the spectrum 
So oh, he was Roger. the eighth chair, and then there was me in the seventh chair. And I also remember marching with a saxophone is just miserable. You know, trying to hold that saxophone in that awkward stance, you got the reed. And then I remember the one time I, I got a reed stuck in my lip. So I cut my lip, and I'm like, I'm done with this. And, and I didn't quit. I finished out the season my sophomore year. but We did uh, just talk with Glenn about a, a tuba. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and a tuba at least it's like built tuba. to be on you. What? Like, the, like yeah. the saxophone, you have to be like in that position for for marching. That's true. It's you know, a you're not like a jazz hold. musician where you can just be all like, no. you know, you got to like be like regimented. And it was that awkward stance, and then you had mm-hmm. to march, and you're bouncing up and down, and you're trying it just. So after my sophomore year, I was like, I'm done with this. And then, you know, I had a pretty traumatic experience because of my parents' decision to relocate their entire business. Um, at the end of my sophomore year, they sat me down. I was a pretty – even though I was kind of nerdy in my high school there in Seelands Grove, Pennsylvania, I was in the hip crowd. You know, I was with the cool kids, maybe not the athletes, but I at least was part of a good group of kids. They informed me that we were moving an hour and a half away and starting fresh uh, my junior year of high school. So my very first day of junior high school, um, I went into a brand new high school not knowing a soul. And it changed my li- changed my life, uh, made me who I am today because I had to – I really had to grab m- myself up and say, hey, are you – and I moped around for like the first month, uh, ate by myself, didn't socialize anyone. I had some bullies kind of picking on me. And something changed in me and gave me like, is this the way you're going to spend your, is this what your life's going to be like? You're just going to be kind of like this little nerdy kid who gets picked on in the corner after, because you had to move, you had to, you know, meet new people. Suck it up, Will Prather. Suck it up. (laughs) And and, uh, lo and behold, I ended up auditioning for a show and I got into the show, uh, the the play. Did you have a speaking I did. I got right. (laughs) So right off the bat, and it turns out like I, I was a junior and it turns out that a couple of the kids who were the seniors they were like the cool kids. Like they ruled oh, the senior class. So you class. found your way in. I found my theater. way through theater and got introduced to the seniors who kind of took me under their arm. And then um, and then that led to some introductions to different friends that really started opening up my universe. Hmm. So how were you introduced to Rush? So uh, uh, the story is I started to get to know these two kids. And uh, one of them ended up being my best friend. And he was in my wedding. Um, but um, – but they were they were the they were they were the t- tough kids. They were the ones who everyone was a little afraid of. The theater kids. No, no, this was oh, okay. no, not the theater kids. <laughs> the theater kids were kind of the hip preppy kids yeah. from the rich parents, and you know they kind of. But I ended up introducing in my own class now, my junior class, um, kind of a couple of the edgier guys, and they invited me over to their house, and uh, he was a drummer, like a killer drummer, had this awesome drum set. And he, they go, have you ever heard of Rush? Have you ever listened to Rush? And I go, no, I don't know anything about Rush. I mean, what is it? You know, with Rush, do you get fat? You know, I didn't, didn't yeah. know it. And back then, you know, Rush probably stand something for a drug or something. But I was like, no. And they put on that album and played Tom Sawyer. And lo and behold, he could play the drums oh, right so along like with it. So you're like in his room. He's in got the, the drum kit. He's got this drum kit. Playing he's got off this of vinyl. Hi-fi vinyl, just Mac Daddy sound system for back down, for back there because he was a real hardcore musician. So um, it, it just blew my mind. And it just and, and the lyrics about you know, you know, being a mat, you know, a warrior, and you know, sticking up for yourself, and and, and kind of like taking on the world. It, it, it changed the way I thought about who I could be and what I could do, and, and you know, it pointed me in a trajectory that gave me some confidence to to 
you know, buck up, like you said, you know, what are you going to do? Be, you know, be have a pity party for yourself because of your situation. And, you know, so the song really just resonated with me and changed me and just gave me this, this new attitude. Do you remember what it felt like? Because we're going to listen to it here shortly. And it's a very striking song, the way it's put together, I guess would be a way to put it. It's like it's a, it'll grab your attention if you've never heard it before. So yeah. it must have been, if it was resonating with you for all those things, it must have been kind of a pretty crystallized moment for you. Yeah, it really was. And just how starkly different it was to what I was used to listening to or being exposed to, whether or not it was a choir or some Broadway, some classic Broadway musicals. I mean, I've seen some of the best Broadway musicals you have ever seen. Uh, but to see such a, uh, a juxtaposition between what my ears are normally accustomed to listening to. And even I was, even back then in the early 80s, there was some of that that soft glam rock, you know, that, that, you know, maybe I was being influenced a little bit by that, you know, either, I forget, it was some of those bands that had some of those corny love songs and right. stuff like that. So that was really what, a, you know, and, and then all of a sudden Rush comes along and I'm like, whoa. Well, let's listen to it. Has there ever been a Rush musical? Seems like they could do a Rush the musical. No. The, the clo- <laughs> t- uh, Tommy had, yeah, Tommy, uh, well, yeah, that was the closest thing to a Broadway musical. And it did play Broadway, and I saw it, saw well, the you, tour. You know somebody who runs a theater. Maybe you guys yeah. should spin up a Rush theater <laughs> show. Yeah, uh, okay, this is Tom Sawyer by Rush. It's the first song from their 1981 album, Moving Pictures. First of all, that drum beat. You know, Neil Peart, you know, I've been such a big fan of his as a drummer, and I think... He's the guy that's got the crazy he's got the, cr- the whole yeah. thing. I've like, seen photos from the sky, right? Yeah. Okay. And he's just one of those guys who's legendary, and I think just hearing that. And then in that when I was in that basement and having my friend who was able to literally hit all those same drumsticks and, it was, you know, riffs was just pretty amazing. And, um, you know, every time I got to see Rush, I think, I think I ended up seeing uh, maybe two, maybe three times live. Um, saw him kind of towards the tail end of their career where, you know, he just wasn't able to hit those notes anymore. I right. mean, you know, hear those kind of notes, you know, back then those lead singers, they got, they had to hit those high notes. And, yeah. you know, as you age, you know, your vocal cords get a little tired. And I remember just kind of going to see them there towards the end of their career and still touring. I'm like, well, guys, it might be, you know, sometimes you see these bands like the Rolling Stones are still trucking it out there. But, you know, sometimes... Uh, bands need to sometimes realize when it's time to kind of hang it up with their live performances. I just saw a clip of Mick Jagger from a show three nights ago sprinting down the stage. Yeah. Sprinting. <laughs> it was like, look, here's Mick Jagger sprinting last yeah. night. Right. But, but famously, though, like Mick Jagger like does – like. He runs like five miles every day and he like does like resistance workouts every day. Like he's putting in crazy work at his age to keep the wheels on. So well, he's kept them well, on. Well, how, he, how is Keith Richards still alive? He, well, no, he's, he takes he's the opposite. Preserved. Approach. He's internally <laughs> preserved. preserved. <laughs> yeah. He's got from all to hide or something. Um, I have. I was telling you kind of briefly while we were listening to it. I have a similar memory. I have a friend. We called him Beef, and he was a good drummer. And he would. We'd go in his room, and he would just wail away on these songs. And it was like uh, I'll never forget it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what did you want to be when you grow up? When you grew up, because you know, you say you grew up immersed in theater, but then you went into hospitality in college. Correct. So, was that like to get away from theater, or is that to prepare well, you for the kind of theater you help run now? Because so, it kind of merges them. Yeah. Initially. I didn't want to go into the theater. Uh, you know, I I tried to be in, I tried to be in some shows when I was a kid. Uh, I was a good actor, but again, I couldn't sing. I was a little off key. I also don't have any. I have no rhythm. 
I can't move. I can't dance. I mean, I can, I can do the twirly dance, at, you know, a Grateful Dead show and kind of do all that. But <laughs> Wiggle it, around. Yeah, wiggle around. You know, the twirly dance is, uh, as it's sometimes recalled as. But I have just like no rhythm. It's terrible. So I couldn't make it as an actor and I knew that. Um, I, and I saw how hard my parents were working. I was like, damn, they're working hard. Um, and I know this was the Dutch Apple Theater? This was before, right? This th- was the th- one they, that preceded They it. built their dream dinner theater when I was a senior in high school in 1987. So okay. I saw them toiling for years. Gotcha. Running multiple theaters, not seeing my dad. You know, that's one of the most you know, profound things that I had to deal with is that I didn't see my dad a whole lot because he was working so hard. Right. And I just saw that. I'm like, man, this is a brutal industry. So I was real lucky through some relationships and doing decent on the SAT that I got into Cornell University. Uh, I got into the School of Hotel Administration. Uh, the school, the Cornell's Hotel School is world renowned. It's probably one of the best, is the best in the United States. Um, I got through through a relationship. It was one of these schools that you had to be interviewed. My parents happened to know an alumni through one of the theaters they had. And I nailed this interview, two interviews. You had to do a local alumni interview. You had to drive up to Ithaca for an in-person interview. My SATs weren't great, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't about the scores for that school. And I got into Cornell University and getting into Cornell. So I got into three schools. I got into Penn State. I got into Boston University up in Boston. I got into one in D.C., the one in D.C., and then I got into Cornell. And I had uh, I had a, a, a girl, a woman I knew who was a year older than me, and she was up there. And she, I said, I got in. She goes, if you don't come to the school, you'll regret it the rest of your life. And um, as a kind of sheltered kind of – Pennsylvania Dutch kind of boy going from Lancaster, Pennsylvania up to Cornell University was uh, the life-changing moment that my not, my life really needed, I think. And it, it really set me on a trajectory to not only succeed in my career, but also build some friendships and some relationships and some some life experiences that made me who I am today. So what bridged the gap from degree in hospitality management and theater. So here's what happened there. Um, I got this great degree from Cornell. Um, so I graduated in 1991. Right? So it was high school was 87. College was 91. Had gr- two great job opportunities. I, had, I could go work for Ziegfeld and Roy at the Mirage in Las huh. Vegas. So I had the, t- uh, the lion guy, the tiger yeah, guys. Yeah, right. The tiger guys. I had like a front of house service manager position, and it was in the entertainment business. And I flew out to LA on my recruiting trip, though, and I saw a couple of my fraternity brothers, older fraternity brothers, who took jobs out there. And I just did not like the lifestyle. Huh. It, it just was not going to be my <clears throat> my my pace. It was just too intense. And then my other job job opportunity was at a regional theater, uh, a regional <laughs> hotel change uh, based in Dallas, Texas. I was a big cowboy fan. I went on my recruiting trip there to Dallas, and I went out to dinner with all the executives, two of which were Cornell grads. And I'm like, this is the right feel. You know, this is where I want to be. I love Dallas. And like I said, I was a Cowboy fan. Uh, the job they gave me, I was going to be right off the bat at 22 years old. Uh, I was going to be managing an entire restaurant, an entire bar uh, for like a 300-seat high right by the airport. So it was a great job. Uh, what happened, though, is I had never worked in a corporate environment. 
Uh, and this was a corporate environment. This was a regional hotel. This chain. is not an academic environment. Yeah, th- and this is not a restaurant. <laughs> this is not like a ma and pa shop where you see decisions made on the spot. This was a corporate hierarchy, high, you know, chain that you had to go through. And I immediately just began to feel stymied. You know, I just begin to feel this corporate culture. You know, I come up with this really great idea, a sales promotion or a hiring idea. I'd have to go through like three le- – I'd have to go to the food and beverage director. Food and beverage director would have to go to the GM. And then the GM, who was a great GM and really trusted me and liked me, he'd have to go to his regional vice president to get the stupidest thing approved. So after about six or seven months of that, I'm like – I picked up the phone. It was uh, – I'd not even been there. I wanted to – and I made it exactly a year. But I picked up the phone uh, and I called my mom and dad and I said, you know, they – I'm not happy. I, 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 I want to come back into the family business on, on two – you know, I'll come back on two reasons. First of all, you're going to teach me I want to start at the Dutch Apple. I'll start at whatever position you want. That was our main dinner theater at the time was priority number one. And priority number two was we, I want to open another theater with huh. the two of you. And we, we're, we're going to get another theater. We're going to grow this company. We're going to make it bigger and better. And I want to be a part of that. Uh, and then that one was how the Broadway Palm was born in 1993. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. How'd you pick Fort Myers? So I got to give my dad all the credit on this one. Uh, they wanted to retire, and before they retired, we had timeshare. So we started taking a timeshare out on South Seas. That's how everybody ends up you, here. You know, it really is. You've heard the story a million times, Mike. You come yeah. down here, you vacation That's for a couple That's how I wound years. up here. My grandparents started coming down. Yep, and and it's exactly what happened. And so my dad wanted to build this other dinner theater, and he, we all thought Fort Myers was the right place for it. Naples had a dinner theater, but it was kind of Naples and tired, and uh, we were going to be the new game in town. And lo and behold, we opened in 1993, and it, it really took off. Just FYI, I graduated high school in Fort Myers High in 1990, and uh, the Broadway Palm used to be the Publix, and the party used to be in the Publix parking lot. In the lot. Publix parking. Across the street where the consignment shop is used to be the 7-Eleven where we'd all get our beer with our fake IDs. That is And hilarious. we would hang out in the Broadway Palm parking lot, Publix, and you know, be shenanigans. That is hilarious. <laughs> well, I, it certainly is. I know that Publix was the, the, it was the second Publix supermarket ever built. First one was up in 41, and that was the second one built in 1981. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay, so music. Uh-huh. You're surrounded by it. Do you listen to it at work besides the stuff you have to hear because I don't listen, you're around it? No, I, I don't listen to any music at work. Um, my my uh, my music is limited to dry, you know, and I, I flip between – I have Sirius. I have Sirius. So um, my commute's not reasonable. Um, so I, I don't listen to a lot of music at work. Uh, where I listen to music with, was with my wife at home mostly, and, and and the fun thing to do now is the I play golf. That's my th- fun thing. But everybody now has music on their golf cart, you know yeah. I mean? and so little Bluetooth speakers. Yeah, the little Bluetooth speaker, and it makes it a lot more fun out there. I mean, the the, the one genre, and I play with a lot of Fort Myers people. So, and one sort, one I don't want to offend any music lovers, but one taste of music that I don't like is country. So you can imagine living in Southwest Florida and with a bunch of Florida, you know, golfers, there's a lot of country music. So whenever someone we get in a car together, you know, what do you like or what do you prefer? And I say, I'll listen to anything but country. So uh, I do avoid country. Um, uh, Do you and your wife's musical tastes align? Uh, They are uh, uniquely different. 
Uniquely different. Uniquely different. So let's give you an example of a concert that I took to her that she had never been, and I wanted to introduce her to some music uh, about two, two, three years ago. Uh, Kings of Leon. Okay. All right. I've so heard King, of them. Thanks, Tara Calligan. Yeah, Kings of Leon up in Tampa, and she just loved the show. And uh, what? And let me give. Oh, here's one that she took to me, who I ended up being absolutely blown away with because of what she did from a live percent live performance. Uh, Pink. I went up to okay. see Pink. And, <laughs> so she's her her brand of let's go see. Uh, and the other one she took me to, which was really funny, was the weekend. You know, I did not really think I was going to be a big kind of weekend guy, but went up and saw the weekend. Huh. So, um, so our, our tastes are definitely uniquely different. You know, she listens to a lot of Ariana Grande, and a, you know, she's all into the what's the new one that just came out. So hers are typical kind of. Uh, female likes and tastes, where mine are probably pretty enriched. But we find a great way. Like she has a couple of mixes that uh, one of the songs that almost made my list because it just was such a fond memory with her was uh, there's this John Mayer song about uh, going on the weekend trip and you take the wheel, I'll take the rate. You know, it's songs like that that we can really kind of, you know, find similarities to. But we do like to expose each other. And she's opened me up to some music that I probably would not necessarily be listening to. What she think of Rush? She probably was a little shocked this morning. It's funny. I told her this morning. She goes, you didn't even tell me you were doing this. She kind of knew I was doing it, but I didn't tell her the date. And I told her my three songs. And I, you know, Rush was the first one. And then I talked to my second one and my third one. And then she goes, pause. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> was was the reaction I got. So, well, that's interesting. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, let's move on to your second song. Sure. Uh, it's the Dave Matthews song, or as we refer to him on this show, just Dave. Dave. I like that. Just, just Dave. Dave. You don't have just, to say just Dave. DMV. Fans Dave. call him Dave. 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 So, Dave. Uh, so what's the story? How would you like to proceed? Well, you know, part of it in my in, – in, and I mentioned my experience at Cornell. Uh, I was at Cornell through 1987 through 1991, and that's when that genre of jam bands, if you want to call them the jam bands, you know, uh, Grateful Dead was kind of phasing itself out, uh-huh. you know, and there was going to be this new genre of music that was going to come in behind that. It was going to be progressive rock. It was going to have the the different sounds and all that. So as I'm at Cornell, I start going to all these fraternity parties. I had a pretty active fraternity party. So I started going to these fraternity parties, and we were seeing these bands, up-and-coming bands like Widespread Widespread Panic. I think I saw them three times, twice at a fraternity another at a club. Right, like at a at – like, like- on, at, 100, at a, you know, like at a bar, correct. Yeah, 100, 150 yeah. people seeing yeah. widespread panic. I mean, holy cow! Then you're seeing. I saw Spin Doctors. You know, saw them. Yeah. Then I saw Blues Traveler. Uh, up all night with them, uh, just having a blast in a fraternity party with Blues Traveler, just jamming and partying till four in the morning. So I immediately started falling in love with that style of music and started – you went to a couple of dead shows during my – so I had to get in the token dead shows to yeah. say I saw the dead shows and then picked up with Fish a little bit after that. But I was really looking for that new band, that that, that new sound that was just going to really rock the world and was really going to make an impact. And you know, under the table dreaming, I forgot who turned me on to it. But someone said – one of my buddies said, go get this CD. You got to get it. 
And you know, I immediately ran out to what used to be record stores, right? Do we have record yeah. stores? I guess yeah. there's a few you can still go buy a CD, right? Yeah, uh, maybe. I, I think there's one in the mall, but I think it's just a front for money laundering. Right. right. <laughs> so I, I went out there, and uh, I had I just moved into a, a new house and invested in a nice little speed sound system. So I had the CD player and all that, and boy, I stuck in the CD, and you know, this song hit me right off the bat. The whole album just, I mean, I could list a bunch of songs on this album, but this is the one that really kind of got the play and really started getting the... So as soon as that happened, as soon as I listened to that song, you know, I became a Dave head. You know, yeah. I, I went to see as many live shows as I could. Uh, I still try to see one a year. Either I try to go over to West Palm Beach mm-hmm. or I go up to Tampa. They almost always play two dates there and two dates up in Tampa. Uh, but I've been just a gigantic fan, and um, you know, I, I always keep thinking I'm going to run into him down here. He comes I was going to ask if you'd ever met him. Yeah, Seems no, like you might I, have I a chance. So uh, I, I do have a great story of meeting the band. I actually had dinner with Carter Buford. So, oh, wow. Um, Norman and Mary Love, uh, yeah. you know, loved, uh, they, uh, Dave loves Norman Loves Chocolate, fell in love with it 10, 15 years ago or something like that. So, so – Dave falls in love with Norman Loves Chocolate. He has a whole catering team. You should see the catering. So he travels with his oh, whole— Oh, Dave's team. They, yeah, so they travel with an entire catering kitchen, the, the full kit and caboodle. The guy who runs that catering kitchen used to work for Norman Love at the Ritz, huh. and they've known each other. So three, four years ago, uh, we get the whole backstage experience. We get there before the show. We get to have— dinner, whoever of the band's back there. We're backstage literally. And I'm I, Carter Buford sat down and sat there sat right there. And, I'm, and so I'm like trying to find Dave. And he's kind of a little bit, you know, he's a different pre-show routine and all that. And we're allowed to stay there right till the very end. And I was so flustered and all that. I ended up literally walking right, be, right beside him and not even realizing it was him. Because I was like so nervous, hoping to have. Was he like shorter than you? Yeah, expected yeah, or you would not. He, 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 yeah, you're right, and it just you would not expect that for whatever reason. And there was still a lot of people around, and it was literally ten minutes before the show, and and all that. But uh, I have not had a chance to meet him, and, and he spends time supposedly. I've not seen him. Uh, Boca Grande, he comes down here. Huh. So, and this was years ago. I haven't heard anything recently, but I I know the loves used to say that he used to come down here and spend some vacation time. Uh, but boy. Um, just it, just the, their their evolution of a band, and then also to see what he went. You know, they, they lost a band member in a terrible terrible RV accident. You know, the, the Leroy Moore, Leroy Moore, um, and to see the way they kind of responded as a brand as a band, how they've had to evolve a little bit, and kind of the new elements they're bringing into the band and, and evolving. But you know, to to have the the longevity that they've had and the support. It's, it's impressive to see in the band, and you know that the the, the guys are still together. You know, I, I like to see that. You know, you see yeah. all this turmoil in bands, and you know, I'm sure there's pretty strong creative personalities there. But um, it's just been a fun band to watch. I even like to see when he acts in movies. You know, he's in that movie with the I forget the name of the dog. I did not know that. Yeah, he's no. been in a couple movies actually. So, uh, huh. but I, I just think he's a good guy, and he, he takes care of his 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 band and he, he's good to his fans you know and I think um, you know when you see that in a, in a band you, you respect it and I think he's a creative genius personally yeah. you know I've, I'm very familiar with his work and he does things that are 
pretty magical. Well, I listened to some of the live shows back in '93. You know, some on the Dave Matthews. It's one of my presets. And you'll see some of those live recordings of some of their original songs in those early 90s, and you're like, man, how did they ever really make it? Because yeah. it sounded, you know, different. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I remember exactly where I was when my friend Biff, and we've now, I've now mentioned Biff, Biff and Biff. Biff. When, <laughs> um, Biff. Yeah, there's two of them. Uh, when, when I was in his kitchen at his parents' house, and he put this into a boombox, and he played the CD. I remember that. So let's listen to this together. Um, what Would You Say by Dave, the Dave Matthews Band, from the 1994 album Under the Table and Dreaming. What would you say? How many times have you seen Dave? Twelve. 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 You yeah. know that with certainty. Yeah, twelve with certainty. I think there might be a couple more in there, but I'm certain on twelve because I, I, I sat down and wrote them down. So uh, Anybody else you've seen that many times? No, no. Who's second? Is there anybody you've seen twice? Uh, uh, there's a couple I've seen. T- I mentioned The Dead twice. Uh, Blues Traveler, I'd say, probably up around 10, just because they do some smaller club circuits. and um, Widespread, three. Rush, a couple. Definitely saw Rush, a couple. Um, Pearl Jam, I've probably, just because I've gone to a couple shows with my brother, two or three times. Hmm. Um, um, Broadway Palm Dinner Theater, do you guys ever have concerts so i'm trying to rack my brain and you know, i can't remember here's any. what we do and we do call it a concert series um but what it is is it's a concert series of tribute shows okay so the big genre now is tribute bands i mean you, you see them everywhere now and we do i think five tribute bands you know we'll do an abba tribute we do a billy joel one maybe uh, what else? Another, but they they sell out. They're, they're just absolutely packed. So I do no original music, no bands other than outside of just kind of tribute bands. Is that because it wouldn't draw the right big enough crowd to make it worth it? It is definitely all economics. You know, my audience is. Um, I kind of know my audience pretty well. I know what genre of music appeals to them. Yeah, and to be honest, because of my size. I, you know, it's all – you know, what you can afford in terms of a band is all driven by how big's your house yeah, and what can you charge. Yeah. So my math's pretty simple. So you know – yeah, unless you're going to like go out on a limb and think, okay, I got Dave Matthews and a bunch of people are going to show up and play 150 200 bucks or whatever. That, that's a – that's a that, like yeah. you said, that's going out on a limb. Yeah. You know, where I can say, hey, I can charge 80 I know I'm going to sell 300 and it's going to be fine, you know. So there, there's definitely an economics of what the Broadway Palm can afford. Uh, but I, I continue to be impressed with this, you know, with Southwest Floor in general. You know, there's more mute live music options here than I've ever seen. Yeah. You know? So it, it's definitely exploding. I mean, post-COVID, you know, there's people still coming back. And I, I think a few venues kind of didn't quite make it. Uh, but I, I think you're going to continue to see kind of a, hopefully a, a strong resurgence of live music here in Southwest Florida. Are there any shows that you've been around so many times that you just rather not anymore if given a choice? You mean uh, like live music? Like, no, like theater, like theater shows. Uh, sometimes I have a hard time going to theater that's not mine. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. You know, I, and it's just because one of the things when I watch a show at my own place. I have my own table. I'm sitting by myself, um, immersed in my own environment. I, I can move freely. I'm not stuck. I'm not having to sit there. I, if I have to go to the bathroom, I can get up and go to the bathroom. If I need to go talk to someone. So sometimes I feel – and this – don't give me – this is even the way I feel if, when I go to see a Broadway show. I'm like, oh, I got to wait. Yeah, you're not talking about just like – 
the local theaters. No, talking I'm talking about anything. Like, yeah. yeah, and, and then I have I have nuanced taste. You know, I, you know, I I have nuanced taste. You know, even there's shows I produce myself that I don't like. <laughs> you know, there's sometimes you got to bite the bullet. You know, and say, hey, I'm going to produce uh, this show again because I have to, and my audience wants it. Uh, but yeah, there's time. There's definitely you know times I just don't want to go see anyone. How many of uh, show? How many shows would you go to during a run? Do you try to see a lot of them, or do you so see like opening our, night, mid run, and end? Or? Correct. So our, our our runs are six to seven weeks. So I'll see the show twice opening week. I'll see it in a preview, and then I'll see it on its opening night. I, I probably won't see that show again until closing. So I, I I may check in. You know, if there's an understudy in, oh, so and so's going on. I'll I'll peek back in there, but. You know, and it, it's people laugh at me. You know, when they ask you, you know, how much do you love theater? You must just love theater. I go, yeah, kind of tolerate it. You know, yeah. uh, you know, it's, well, it's like if you're a baker, at some point you're like, yeah, yeah it's bread, correct. You know, how much, <laughs> how much more of this wheat, rye, and you know, and, 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 and don't get me wrong, I love theater, and I love what I do, but sometimes even you know, just because. Um, you always have to be so on, you know, when you're a producer. You always mm-hmm. have to be, you know, Johnny on the spot with this and that. And, you know, people have expectations. You know, by the time you get through a week of that, you're like, I'm I'm drained. You know, this has been – and multiply that times two theaters and a national touring company. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of theater. And then it's also trying to figure out, you know, this – figuring out the future, you know, and making sure you're finding time. And to you're, not, you're probably working two years out or uh, something. You are. I just had, was on a routing call that I was all the way through the summer of 2024. Whew. So you try to get as far ahead as possible in terms of trying to – but what one thing post-COVID has learned is you can be, you can be flexible and your audiences are going to understand um, challenges that might you know, impact you. Uh, any dream shows that you've yet to produce that you'd love to for whatever reason, but maybe can't for some reason? Well, there's a couple shows that are just are back on Broadway that are still touring that I d- just love to death, and I hope the opportunity to produce. Uh, Waitress is one of those. You know, that just reopened on Broadway. There's a national tour out. Um, it's going to be coming here to the Bar- Barbara B. Man next season. Um, I'd love the opportunity to produce Waitress. You know, I think that's just a great show, and I, I've seen it twice already and, and really like it. We are uh, super fans of the the film oh, in our house. Yeah, it's yeah. great, isn't it? Yeah, more people need to be aware of that movie and that that musical. And there, you know, there's still a couple big shows on Broadway that you know I, I'd love an opportunity at some point to do one of the big Disney shows that are on Broadway right now. But and you know, it's a long time away. You know, right. the, the the big mega hits like someone asked me, when are you going to produce Hamilton when I'm dead? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, Can not you gonna... imagine a future? You know, maybe I'm... 20 years from now, where Hamilton is something that you might see at a place like Broadway. Yeah, 20 years ago, just like the show. You know, I have shows that were on Broadway in the 90s that yeah. I'm doing now, and right. one we're going to talk about here shortly about how that changed my perspective on, on how I produce shows. But um, yeah, sooner or later, they become available to regional theaters. But there's a whole there's a whole process of a show sure. goes through before it becomes available to us to produce. Talk a little bit about the uh, touring company. So our touring company was born in 2008. Great timing, right? 2008, 2009, you're going to launch this big new touring if company. If you can make it then, you can make <laughs> it any then. <laughs> so, so we're now in our 12th season of producing national tours. It's been really a, a, a great way to grow our business. Uh, it, it gives us the opportunity to take shows that we're going to be doing in our dinner theaters and either blow them up and take them out on 
on the national tour or take shows out on the national tour. And when they're done at the national tour, they come and play my place. Uh, but the, the business has been a really logical way for our, our company to grow. Um, I didn't, you know, there were some dinner theaters that were going to, there's dinner theaters coming available to me. There's certain markets that are interesting to me. Uh, when I looked at that, do I really want an, another dinner theater and another hundred employees and another eight shows to produce a year? Or can I put my energy and effort in, you know, a small physical footprint, but a much larger production? So, uh, you know, we've had the opportunity to go to Saudi Arabia. Uh, two years ago, I was in Saudi Arabia with Wizard of Oz. We went to Bahrain, wow. uh, China. Uh, I just love the sound of of you guys going to Saudi Arabia for Wizard of Oz. We were the first musical to ever play the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So I'm pretty proud of that. It was a pretty big— How was it received? You know, I went over there. I spent a week over there. It was pretty nice. Now, we were in in this area called Jeddah, and we were in, like, uh, basically ExxonMobil has an entire city. And in, within that city is this entire this gigantic cultural center, uh, and that's where we played the show. So we were in a pretty confined area right. of Saudi Arabia, and we got to see. But it was pretty interesting to see the audience, and they turned out, and they we had to we had to change some of the costumes. We had to make sure there was no, they couldn't have any exposed legs because you know the Wizard of Oz is known for being so flashy, right? right. <laughs> well, it was Dorothy's skirt that we had to lower her skirt and also put stockings on her because because of some of the rules over there. So, but it was a great experience, and I uh, I even t- got a chance to take my parents to see Wizard of Oz in Shanghai, in China, um, in 2019. So that was pretty cool. So the touring division for us has been a great great for us to grow, and it's got a bright future ahead of us. It's headquartered right here in Fort Myers. So so uh, I run the whole company out of here with the, the support team here. And um, and we're excited. We're going to play. We are finally on the actual Broadway series at the Barber B. Man. So we're going to be bringing Summer, the Donna Summer musical. Oh, cool. So this is a 90-minute mega-hit musical all on the his, uh, all in the music of Donna Summer and her life and what she went through as a small girl from Boston uh, to turning into kind of the worldwide sensation that she was. Uh, so we're going to do Summer, the Donna Summer musical that's going to be playing at the Barber B. Man uh, February 2nd through February 7th. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get to your third song now, and it's from Rent. Which is I, I've been informed when I mentioned this. My daughter, it's her favorite musical of all time. She's wow. a junior at Cypress in okay. the theater program. Right. So, and I said, she said, which song? And I said, Seasons of Love. And she texted back, Valid. So, <laughs> <laughs> so proceed. So, Seasons of Love and, and Rent in general. You know, I've talked a little bit of my, my history of Broadway. You know, how I was seven years old when I was exposed to my first Broadway show, and pretty much my entire life I've been going to see Broadway shows. So Vita chorus line, any of these, you know, all crazy for you. I can name all the Broadway shows, and I continue to see Broadway shows to this day. But in 1996, I went into New York City, and everybody was buzzing about this production of Rent. Uh, it had just had a play. It just had a run in uh, downtown at one of the off-Broadway theaters, knocked it out of the park there. So there was this huge buzz about this show. It was going to win all the Tonys, and it's just it, – it's nothing like anything you've ever seen on Broadway. So you can imagine, you know, and so how old was I? Early, early 30s. You know, all of a sudden going into this show and sitting down and seeing this – production, this musical theater of Rent unfold in front of you. I mean, kind of a very similar experience to what you saw when you experienced 
uh, Lin Manuel when he did in your in the Heights, and then of course Hamilton. It was just a whole different way, and 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 with that show, it was a whole different way to tell a story, and the subject matter that they were talking about too. To see subject matter. So matter-of-factly spoken, I mean, anything from drug use to AIDS uh, to uh, transgender, sexual, uh, you know, all these issues that are bubbling up in society right now, you see unfold of you right here in front of this musical and this epic story told in this melodonic rock way, which is, it was just unbelievable. And I remember saying, I'm going to produce this show one day. That was my goal. So 1996, I said, I'm going to produce this it show. It hadn't even made it to Broadway yet. No, no, no. It was Broadway. Oh, it was Broadway. It, it was okay, definitely so on Broadway. This was, this was on Broadway. Yeah, this was this definitely was on. It's big splash uh, over correct. on Broadway. Correct. Okay. Yep, correct, correct. And I said, I'm going to produce this show. And I went back and I told my management team, I told, and they all thought I was the craziest person in the world. There's like no way you're going to produce the musical Rent. There's no way. We'll lose all of our audiences. No one will see it. Well, lo and behold, um, about 10 years ago, um, I said I'm producing the I'm producing the show, and I found a time slot for it. Uh, my entire team thought I was crazy; uh, they couldn't believe it. But we went all in, uh, produced this amazing production of Rent. It was just what I. So, for me to see the show and then make a personal goal that I'm going to produce this show and actually accomplish that and bring and it, it was just powerful. And the fact is, it was a great production with people that are superstars now. You know that are on Broadway. That you know that show the, the talent we had there. And then the other thing that happened, I got a lot of complaint letters. I got the most number of complaint letters that I've ever gotten, mostly from my subscribers, saying, "This is unacceptable. How dare you produce this? Uh, I don't give you this kind of just some pretty not very nice letters." Uh, I lost subscribers. I lost some subscribers. They canceled. They refused to ever come back to my dinner theater again. And then on the exact same side, we got a thousand new customer accounts during that run. Wow. Thousand new customers. And when you looked at who those new customers were, they were the my future audience. Mm -hmm. You know, they were a whole different looking audience. They were young. They were different looking. They had different backgrounds. They were different colors. It was a, a different audience than I'd ever seen at my dinner theater. I remember being there on closing night, sold out, full closing night, and, and literally weeping at the fact that I pulled this off, that I literally did this and succeeded. And it proved to myself that we can be edgier at the Broadway Palm. We don't have to just do Cole Porter and Rogers and Hammerstein. And so now, look at the shows that I'm doing now. I, there's no, it's no more milk toast. I mean, I'm doing in the in the Heights. I'm doing Rock of Ages. I mean, if you told me I was doing Rock of Ages, you would have thought me I was crazy. But what I have found is we have different audiences out there. We don't have to say we're just going to do shows that people 75 and older want to see or 65 or older, 55. We need to do shows that people want to see at any point of their career or age. So Rent for me really proved to me that, you know, you can take a risk and, and, and put it all out there and you can do okay. Well, let's listen to this song. This is, and by the way, I have the original soundtrack version and I have a uh, 2008 recording from the original Broadway, or from, no, I have a recording from the 2008 Broadway cast. So it would be a, the cast, whoever was doing it in 2008. Yeah, I, yeah. Why don't you do that one? Is it live or is it pre? It's no, it's live. There's like an audience. Oh, like that, you hear that, like people. Going, 
Yeah, that might be cool. Singing. Okay, yeah. well, let's, let's do it. This is yeah. Seasons of Love from the 1996 Broadway musical Rent. How many times have you seen that show? Quite a bit, actually, and I, I don't mean to keep plugging um, my partners and at the Barber B Man, but the 25th, the final farewell tour is coming through town. Um, I'll probably I'll, I'll probably end up catching it. I've got some alumni who are actually in it. People have worked for me in the past, and I know the producer, so um, I'll probably go see it again just to just to reflect on some great memories. And um, you know, it's also allowed me to produce shows like. Pippin, Finding Neverland, you know, shows that I just normally would not have done when I can, when I prove to myself and my team that we can produce whatever show we put our, put our mind to. It must feel pretty good. You know, I'm, as a producer in various ways in my life, um, you know, I like presiding over something that I've lined up the ducks for and watching it work. Mm-hmm. That must, you get to do that on a pretty grand scale, just year in and year out. That yeah. must feel pretty good. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm really blessed with an awesome team. I mean, we just did a new hire employee orientation. I have a management team. I think the the least number of years one of my managers has been there was five. The the most was thirty five. So I'm just real fortunate that at the Broadway Palm, we've got a great group of people there and who care about the care about the theater, care about the experience. And, you know, we just like to have fun, too. You know, we like to create a a fun and an enjoyable experience for our guests there. But uh, it does mean a lot when you see, you know, a lot of these moving parts uh, with a with a dinner theater. You know, when you get the restaurant part of it and then you have the box office, then you have the whole theater part of it. Uh, to see all those moving parts come together and create what we create there at the Broadway Palm, uh, it, it does feel pretty good. Uh, I'm certainly very proud of what we've done here in the community for so many years. I will say, personally, I've seen quite a few shows there, and they've always been great. I've always had fun there. I've always seen great theater. So anybody out there, I'm not getting paid to say that. Um, okay, we're going to speed round now. Okay. Nickname. Got a nickname stuck over the course of your life. Uh, Willie P. I was going to ask because yep, I Willie think P. I one of your e- – well, anyway – <laughs> yeah, I had to change. You know, I used one of your to, email addresses. Said yeah, that. no, my <laughs> Gmail address, and I think I need to change it, but it's the first. But my Gmail address is Willie P. Ray John. But back in the day in college, you used to have to sign a board. You know, you didn't have phone calls or any of that, so I would always sign off Ray John Willie P. So it's Willie P. Um, uh, do you do karaoke out of tune? I do no karaoke. I, I, I can't. I'm too embarrassed. If you were a championship wrestler, what music would you come in on? <laughs> championship. Um, what's the Queen song that popped in my head? We are the champions. Okay. <laughs> if you were a cocktail or a drink of some kind that represented a distilled Will Prather, what would it be? A distilled Will Prather. Oh, my gosh. Well, I can't say what I drink because that's a little too milk toasty. Oh, gosh. What would I be? Well, it would, doesn't have to be an alcoholic cocktail. I mean, okay. it could be anything. Just what would be the Will Prather? Cocktail. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. I'm struggling with that one. I like this is the one that got him. Yeah. <laughs> glass of milk. Okay, um, glass of milk. <laughs> I just kept going back to like, what do I like to drink? But what I like to drink doesn't really reflect my personality. Oh, so, you know. <laughs> no, no, wait. We served with a side of toast. Yes, exactly. Okay. If you had to guess, what would you say is the song you've listened to the most times in your life? A song I've listened to the most times in my life. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um... You know what is probably the Dave Matthews Tripping Billies. Okay. All right. Um, you said you don't like to listen to country, especially on the golf course. Are there any particular songs that you'll avoid listening to because you've they've been worn out? No, no. I, I'll still listen to any Goldies, but Oldies. 
if you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet simultaneously, which would it be? <laughs> um, we are the world. All right. That was on our show last year. It was. <laughs> uh, uh, Ken Fay. Kinfei, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. that would be a Kinfei song. He's told a story about being in a a garage in, uh, I think he was in Chicago, uh, and the one guy took over the radio and made all the other ones listen to it because it was the actual live when they broadcast the broadcast We Are the World. Um, Best album of all time. Best album of all time. Hmm. You know, I'm so bad about albums, too, because you get to the point of where you don't have any albums anymore. Uh, Best album of all time. Best, or maybe album you've spent the most time with. Best album I've spent the most time with um, would definitely be Dave Matthews' Under the Table and Dreaming. You know, it's the Is album that your I've, favorite Dave album? Yeah, I've kept it and saved it and keep buying it again. Um, favorite band of all time, Dave? Yeah, favorite band of all time, just because it's too much current for me and just it's I, – I wouldn't be – I mean there's some great bands out there and people can have this debate all the time and there are greater bands than Dave Matthews. Don't get don't get me wrong. But but for me, it's the greatest band that I, I like. I think that we there, it might almost be 100 percent of people that have – if one of their songs is a Dave song, that that's their answer to that question. They're all in. It's funny. Yeah, like, they are yeah. all in. That's a good way of putting it. I managed to escape somehow, yeah, but I'm still that's all true. in. Yeah. So, um, we're going to let you off the hook about the TV theme song, unless you have one that you would really enjoy singing with us. The TV theme song? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> What's the one that popped in my mind right away and then it went away? Because I think uh, – people make fun of it. They sing with the Wilbur, the horse. Oh, Mr. Ed. Mr. Ed. And isn't there Wilbur or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Wilbur's the human. Yeah, the human. How's the song? It goes, a horse is a horse, of course, of course. Yeah. Don't talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course. People sing things, that to Mr. me for Ed. some reason. Really? Yeah. I don't oh. know why. There must be some inside joke about you. There okay. must be some inside joke. If anybody joke listening knows why, email my song story yeah, at let me know. <laughs> um, Okay, it's time for you to recommend your three people. Okay. So, uh, you know, I tried to put a little bit of thought to who I would like to recommend. Um, and I know, I hope I don't name people that have already done it. I don't know how well you know Sarah Owen. We are in the process of arranging a live recording with her at okay. the collaboratory. Great. So I thought Sarah would be a great person. So okay. darn it. Um, <laughs> the other person I work with, and again, you know him probably, Mark Collins. Has Mark Collins he's, done it? He's, he's kind of on the Will Prather list. Yeah. He's said yes three or four times. Yeah. So I, 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 could pro- him. I could probably nudge follow him. up with Mark and, yeah, and that nudge him. Um, I would be more than happy to nudge Norman again and yes, mention Norman. That's awesome. Yep. I have both Norman and Mary's email, so I can drop them a little note. Uh, and then the new executive director at the Alliance for the Arts. I don't know if anyone's recommended She's been on all. the show. Oh, she's already been on the show? <laughs> Beat you to it. Gosh, man, you guys are fast. Uh, and I was trying to f- um, I was trying to think of someone with, with a little bit more diversity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this wonderful woman that I work with. My wife knows her really, Dr. Marlene Moulton. Don't know her? Don't know her. The other one who I think would be a really if, if you could get her to do it, and she's a little she'd be a little hard to understand because she's Cuban, uh, but Gloria Jordan who owns oh okay yeah, I'd I, love to get her on yeah she would be interesting because I think she would provide a whole different perspective totally get try to make that happen yeah but Gloria with Jordan was one I thought of gotcha so what would your fourteen year old self think of who you are today fourteen year old self 
What's funny, I used to be the little neighborhood organizer at 14. I was the one who always organized the baseball games and the play dates. and you know. So this basically. Yeah, pretty much. You know, And now the, I'm the guy who organizes all the golf outing. I put it in the software. You know, So I think that little organizer and that little entrepreneur that I was at 14, running my parents' concession stand, hustling for a buck, you know, sweet-talking the guest. I, I mean, I just grew up to be an older version of that, I guess, for the most part. But I, I think he would be fairly... Uh, he would be fairly proud of the fact that the foundation was laid at a very early age for the type of person I'd be now. That is great. All right. Well, you've done it, Will Prather. Great. You got any final thoughts? No, I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for keeping after me. It was a real pleasure getting caught up with you, and it's a great program. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Mike Canary is co-creator and host. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callian is our online content producer and host. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For our parting tune this week, I'm going back to 2010. Or 1956. Or the 1940s. Let me explain. Back in 2010, I was invited to the Broadway Palm Dinner Theater. Will's Theater. My wife and I went with some friends to see The Andrews Brothers, a comedy about three soldiers who end up having to try to fill in for the Andrews sisters who were going to miss a big USO show. During the play, an audience member is called up on stage to play an extra. Guess who that was? I was given a garrison cap, set center stage, and found myself standing in a spotlight with Catherine Walker Hill playing Peggy Jones, who stared into my eyes and sang this. I want to linger. It was intense. Now, I don't listen to a lot of Andrew's sister's music in my day-to-day, but I can guarantee you that when any of their music bumps into me, I'm back on that stage, completely swept up in what felt like a private performance. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. And thank you for joining me for this great conversation. More information, wwcufm.com. I'm Kyle McCurry. Have a great night.